Hello, Hosebo. Bonjour, and welcome to Planet of the Climates. POTK is a Climadel podcast bringing you the latest information and insight into the world of climate action. Klima is a blockchain protocol backed by carbon credits that gives people a chance to fight climate change as a collective and get rewarded for doing so. Klima sits at the intersection of blockchain, climate science, and finance, so there's no shortage of great topics for us to explore together. My name's Phaedrus, and I'll be your host on this adventure. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Diamond Hands as we connect you with the biggest and brightest names currently exploring this space. I'm flying solo behind the mic today, but I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Daniel Huang. He leads special projects at F2 Pool, one of the world's largest Bitcoin mining pools, and is the head of protocols at Stakefish, a leading proof of stake validator. It's going to be a great chat, so let's just jump right into it. So Daniel Huang from Stakefish and F2 Pool joins us for this Planet of the Climates conversation. These two platforms are hard at work across uh, the Ethereum, Bitcoin, crypto ecosystems. They're also two of our latest Klima Infinity partners. We're definitely going to take some time to dive into what these projects and what this partnership is all about. But Daniel, just to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I love seeing you in the ReFi community and Twitter, showing some great leadership there, obviously. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, your background, your journey? Sure. I have a quite a long story, but TLDR, I had a Tyler Durden moment back in 2013 through like a pretty bad experience with defending a bank, <laughs> part of a law firm, and then had a friend tell me about Bitcoin about how we're going to replace these banks. And so I was, I jumped all in. It was like a minor, more for ideological reasons. And then spent a lot of time, ended up working on building DEXs, worked with permission blockchains, did some health data with blockchain stuff. I went to grad school and studied distributed systems. And then also had a lot of focus on cryptography there. Did some stuff at a layer one. And then now I joined Stakefish nf2 pool and large part of my reason for joining a validator like stakefish had been the opportunity to kind of help guide some of the ecosystems from a governance perspective and so really happy with what we're able to do from that platform and i guess my also my origin story with this climate work is lifetime ago i actually had also studied biology in addition to computer science so had a bit of like, I guess, a green thumb. I studied soil bacteria, which then turned into like bioinformatics research with like human gut bacteria. Early last year, we were getting a lot of, I guess, heat, especially on the proof of work side with F2 pool, with this all this attention from NFTs and a lot of hmm. artists who are pretty conscious about some of their impact on society and also the environment. And so we got a lot of heat and kind of criticism because at the time, F2 pool was the world's largest Bitcoin mining pool. And even though we as a mining pool are not, we literally do not have like these mining devices, mining farms that contribute their hash power to our servers. So we aggregate that. We were right, obviously a really big target and scapegoat because people can't like find all these anonymous mining farms to blame. So I think we were one of the first mining pools and miners in the POW space 
kind of buck up and take it on the chin and acknowledge a lot of the impact that the cryptocurrency industry is having on the environment, even though there are a lot of great arguments, both from a perspective of the value that crypto is providing to the world, and maybe this is a necessary cost, and also how maybe unfairly characterized crypto has been relative to other industries that do a lot more polluting and carbon emitting than we are. But you know whether we like it or not, the type of public opinion and sort of the narratives that have been spun by media and a lot of, let's say, crypto critics exists. And so we might as well try to figure out how to acknowledge it. And so that's when I actually had been talking to Vice News reporter who connected me to Regen. It's a Cosmos-based blockchain that focuses a lot on climate solutions, who had also been maintaining the Cosmos SDK itself for quite some time. We got connected. We're like, and I, I was trying to basically figure out, okay, we, what can we do to address some of these issues? We came up with a plan with Regen to pitch the rest of the F2 pool leadership. We can help obviously source renewable energy for our mining farms, and we have been mm-hmm. doing that. But then most likely not every single mining farm is going to switch to renewable energy because at the end of the day, it's profit maximization that these mining farms want. And you can have 0.1 cent kilowatt hour versus coal energy versus like 6 cents per kilowatt hour using hydro. And so we're like, okay, so not all are going to switch to renewables. Then what can we do with the rest? And then maybe we can offset the rest. And maybe a bit naively, we saw this as some sort of altruistic vision where people may want to support the climate by you know spending extra cash without expecting anything back. And so we pitched that. We're like, let's buy carbon credits. After pool leadership was no. <laughs> and so we got rejected in the front door, but we got it passed through the side door because I had a buddy of mine who was at the time the number one grossing super rare artist. We had him create a NFT art that was celebrating F2 Pool's eighth anniversary and made it green. And we auctioned that off for $400,000 and then used that money to buy carbon credits, both from... And this is before carbon credits were widely available through tokenized form. And so we had actually went to like the Vera registry and purchased carbon credits with the help of Regen. That was from like the a, a Kenyan uh, originator. And then... Uh, Creole, which is another carbon credit project that allowed us to purchase some from uh, Brazil. And so we bought those carbon credits and we retired them. And then I was realizing, yes, right, it didn't make a lot of sense for this type of altruism to be this sort of long running and let's say reliable or consistent form of offsetting that these companies like ourselves can do. We needed to figure out a way of not having to rely on altruism, but instead incentivizing the type of behavior that would allow this industry to do something about its climate action. And so we uh, essentially started a working group together, at least from the blockchain infrastructure service provider level that both encompassed POW mining and then also the POS validator. So at the time, this was before the ClimaDAO and Toucan launch, maybe a handful of climate crypto operators. And so I think there was a fewer than 10 people in projects. And so I just gathered a bunch of them and we started meeting weekly and figuring out and brainstorming and discussing the types of ways that we can work together. And so this included both measurement 
and how we can do that as infrastructure service providers. That also included incentivized behavior for offsetting. And so we had started jamming on like these white papers that included both economic and more high level understandings of what types of behaviors can be incentivized and what those behaviors can be, which include switching to renewable energy sources for mining pools and mining farms, and then also carbon credit offsetting. And then, right, the KlimaDAO mm-hmm. and can launch and then got like people like Adam Newman and Mark Cuban starting to like talk about this on the news. We have a lot of these awesome projects that we're seeing today. But that was like the beginnings. And so we still meet the the working group and a bunch of the Klimadao folks are attending every week. And I think it's now we're beginning to see more of like the Web2 side be open to communicating with us. And so a lot of the the Web2 folks in the climate space have been attending as well. I think you guys are pretty well aware, like we are organizing a climate conference later to bring both Web2 and Web3 climate projects. But that's the start of my story and then also the start of like the climate story that I got involved in. Well, that's brilliant. And definitely I can appreciate, yeah, you want to go into the details there because there's just so much to unpack around your background, your history with cryptocurrency kind of being there right from the very beginning. And it sounds like a little bit of a, a dramatic shift, I guess, away from TradFi to hopping into the crypto ecosystem pretty quickly there. Yeah, I was very extreme back then. (laughs) You just woke up one day and said, that's it? (laughs) It's a fun story. I was working at this law firm and I don't know if you, maybe I'm aging myself here, but like back in 2012, there was a congressional hearing for HSBC. HSBC had been caught supporting drug cartel money laundering and terrorist financing. And our firm was defending them. And so we saw the, the ugly guts underneath and HSBC got off with like this, a slap on the wrist. No one went to jail. And it was just very disappointing in terms of like what the legal system was able to do. And then also how much like the traditional financial system was getting away with. And so I quit. <laughs> like, screw this. This is uh, not justice. There was even a, a Netflix episode about it, which was hilarious. But that's why I left. And then just fortuitously, like my friend was like, Daniel, this is thing called Bitcoin. I know you hate the banks. We're going to replace them. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are like nine years later and like banks are still here. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. maybe we had to shift a little bit of our goals. But then in the meantime, you've been at the proverbial coal face around, you know, the, the GHG greenhouse gas footprint for proof of work, proof of stake, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of that especially working with pools and mining and all that. And for people who perhaps don't understand or don't do mining themselves, I mean, this is kind of where the footprint is attached to, right? So you kind of felt the onus or an imperative to do something about that? Yeah. I mean, we could have just like buried our heads under the sand and just said like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin's value is more important than the impact that we have on climate. But if there's an opportunity for us to use innovation to address these issues and even kind of flip the script where right maybe like the dial is turned to crypto is harming the planet if we're able to like even flip that dial and do a 180 degree switch and say like crypto is now saving the planet because we're offsetting more than we're emitting then that's innovation that's technology that's a new opportunities of for us to make more efficient and effective decisions and make use of like this sort of literally this global platform that can help coordinate 
everyone together with the right type of incentives and the structures and mechanisms that people have kind of put together to allow that to happen. I think innovation is incredibly important weapon that we have that we can use to fight climate and then even turn it to our side. Yeah, no, that's great. And yeah, so you've gone through you know, the different steps that can be done. And you, know, you talked about sourcing those carbon credits and you kind of got this case study of pre-post clima or pre-post tokenized carbon as well too when, when you're you know trying to offset. So what's that like? We might be spoiled now with like, oh, we can just go to like SushiSwap and then be able to like purchase um, NCT or BCT off these pools and then have these carbon credits and retire them. It's not how it works in the real <laughs> world. Like in the traditional world, if you want to purchase carbon credits from a particular registry, I think like a, a vast majority of these are just OTC and you have to like know certain people. You have to work with brokers who take fees. From the moment we had cash on hand and we wanted to purchase these carbon credits, it took us like more than a week to mm. be able to get our hands on it. And these carbon credits are non-fungible. What I mean by that is like you can't fra it's not in like it's not in fraction. So if let's say for example, if we were very specific and we estimated our carbon emissions to, to be like let's say 137.86 tons, you don't get 0.86 tons of carbon credit. You get like whole number amounts. So I, you're either overestimating or underestimating that type. So it was difficult. Fortunately, we had Regen and Creole kind of do all the difficult heavy lifting, but we can definitely see like how how much friction there was. Now, right as an organization, if we just want to purchase carbon credits, it's literally done at a, you know in a couple seconds. So really, really pleased to see that huge UX bump that we're seeing for people who want to purchase these carbon credits for whatever reason they want. Yeah. So that friction is gone, I guess, or it's just been a dramatic change. You know, this really brings up that statement from Vera and we, you know, that Vera has essentially, you know, halted tokenizing of existing credits right now. But it sounds like, again, from your experience and, you know, you're definitely vouching for the fact that these markets belong on chain. I don't know if you have any reflections on kind of what's happened or the importance of, you know, tokenizing these carbon assets and credits. It's interesting because from conversations that I've had with like Joseph Plant from Blockchain for Climate or Gregory from Regen or even like Marcus Aurelius from Klima and a lot of other people like I I remember they were saying like when these climate crypto folks were having good faith attempts at engaging with these registries, the registries wouldn't give them the time of day. But after like the Klima DAO and Toucan launch and you saw like a billion dollars in TVL for Klima and then like getting all over the news then these registries kind of like raise their eyebrows and <laughs> there's money here. There's like this entire global ecosystem now able to like simultaneously and frictionlessly interact and engage and purchase. And then now we're having all this demand for it. They are interested in it. And some of like these organizations and working groups like AIDA and ICROA have been like attending some of our working group calls and talking about, right, there are great opportunities for them. I think perhaps like this type of permissionlessness attitude that we have in the crypto ecosystem perhaps may have like rubbed them the wrong way a bit. Because I, I remember it was funny because I think someone had brought this up 
some of these registries like Vera or Gold Standard, I forget which one it was, or maybe it was a, another registry, had even had like job posting for like blockchain engineer. They understand they need to do something. I think that there is a way to work together, right? Why not have the experts who actually understand how this technology works help you and guide you, and, right? We can have conversations together. We might like yell at each other sometimes because they have different opinions, but we can still <laughs> learn a lot. That's one of like I think one of the goals of like the climate conference that we'll have later this year in the fall. We can talk together at least. We don't have to like love each other, but there's a lot of like information that can be shared. There's merit and there's value in the ability to have some of this technology support the overall goal because at the end of the day, whether you're tokenized or not, like the goals for both of us on the Web two and Web three side are to make sure that there is enough money flowing to these or carbon projects that can offset and sequester more carbon dioxide than we put out as humans, right? And it's not just like carbon offsetting. Let's say, for example, in the traditional world, you purchase a carbon credit and then you offset it as an organization. And then you can say like, I have this receipt and we're good, right? Especially for these like direct-to-consumer companies like Microsoft who, right, they need to say, we're carbon negative, we've made this claim for our ESG criteria goals, great. And then the goal of having a carbon credit purchase for a certain amount of money then eventually trickles down into the people who actually sold the carbon credit and then can put more money into like planting more trees or, or whatnot. You can put that cycle and money that goes into these, uh, eventually comes into these projects through like a more incentivized flywheel where on the crypto side, you have like this immediate and native composability and interoperability with a lot of these things. So, right, once you have a car tokenized carbon credit, you can fractionalize it. You can attach it to an asset. You can turn it an NFT. You can attach it to like a wrapped Bitcoin to create green Bitcoin. You can put it into a vault. You can have like a derivative asset that represents like management of that vault, like Klima tokens or like P-Klima or state Klima that can passively kind of generate more Klima that allows people to like uh, determine what types of assets go in, like how, how much gets retired, how redemptions work. All of that is like this use case and utility that brings much more demand and interest in using integrations for that, which ultimately wants right this cycle to add more carbon credits to be brought on if the literally the the rest of the entire world not just like in the united states is participating and demanding more carbon credits to be tokenized that eventually means more money for these carbon projects and these registries to go through i was mentioning before there's so much potential for the type of innovation that we have with crypto that allows like collaboration communication efficient use and more like a little bit better ux i think is it's positive some like you you can do so much more than what we were able to do before in just the traditional world when the, none of this was tokenized yeah and i really appreciate that you know collaborative view that you're taking there too that's not you know, like us against the registries or us against you know the off-chain markets either that it can be win-win and we're bringing a lot to the table there too I know there's been a lot of like spiciness between like people, the crypto people and the registries and even like the climate projects versus other climate projects. But like the registries have existed for particular reasons because like the type of methodologies that they use to make sure that certain carbon projects are legit and they're not like scams. Like, you know, hey, we have this rainforest, 
measure it, look at how much carbon we sequestered, and then we bulldoze it the next day, like to make wood and sell yeah. it. Like, th- there's reasons why th- those methodologies are are sound. I'm not as familiar with like the history of these registries, and I know like the carbon markets themselves in the traditional world have had its fair share of like double counting issues and like there may be like oracle problems if you're trying to like bring real world data into like this blockchain but right it's pretty necessary because there's been years and years of like robust methodology development for that and we can't just like say hey we're gonna package seaweed into a cube and then turn it into (laughs) a carbon credit like there needs to be like good in-depth research and and mature research into that for what we determine is a carbon credit yeah, excellent. So yeah, really enjoying this chat around that. You talked about your your journey and joining F2 Pool and Steakfish, and maybe we want to you know bring things back to that and and why we're chatting here today. Like both F2 Pool and Steakfish are getting on board with Clima Infinity now, right? Yeah. So on the F2 Pool side, and part of why I think it didn't make sense for us to continue just buying carbon credits to offset is that when you kind of break it down, like who are our clients on the F2 Pool side? Our clients on the F2 Pool side as a proof of work miner are mining farms. Do the mining farms care if the, the mining pool that they're contributing hash rate to is green? Maybe some might, and maybe some might like have like ethical business practices where they're like, "Hey, we should like do what's right." That's not like a metric by which they judge us by, right? They want to maximize returns on for their companies, so it doesn't really make sense in the same way that Microsoft purchases carbon credits to offset, right? Because consumers will be picky about that when they're purchasing like a computer or something, perhaps. So from the F2 pool side, right, our clients maybe don't care as much. Maybe some do, but there's not really like this, you know, incentive where we're not going to get more mining farms contributing their hash power to us. From the POS side as a validator, there's a lot more of that direct to consumer communication where Right, you have individual token holders who have a certain asset like Ethereum or like a Cosmos Atom or Solana Sol or Polkadot Dot or a Tezos Tezzy. They get to be more discerning about which validator that they stake with. Obviously, you have to have the default. Your infrastructure is you're not getting slashed and it has high uptime. But then there's also this part, this complement to the infrastructure management that validators have. Like is is governance, and then the the ability that they are able to lead these ecosystems in a way because right these foundations that create these chains are are meant to dissolve and be completely decentralized, and it's the validators that are maintaining the infrastructure that are going to inherit these chains completely. And so the way that we do participate in governance and and participate in ecosystem initiatives is our marketing, and right that is more closely relevant to how we have to like try to do the right thing. We obviously have Mm -hmm. to vote on proposals. We have to help write the proposals. We have to help guide the ecosystem, contribute to that, give back. And then also if we can say that we are doing something that's right by the planet, then that's another way that we can kind of draw in users and delegators uh, to support us because we're doing the right thing. And so I think it's a really cool way because Klima Infinity's dashboard is nice kind of consolidated view for validators or infrastructure service providers or any other company to kind of show 
that this is our methodology. This is like a little pledge statement. This is how many carbon credits we purchase, how much we offset. It makes it easy for us, right? Because when we purchase carbon credits at F2 pool, we didn't have a dashboard like that. We had to like make our own little graphics. We had written, I wrote the blog post on it. We had to like describe it all, right? And do we do that for every single time? Like, did we, we didn't create like our own sort of dashboard that we can show other people because that requires some engineering effort. So it's made it very easy for us, right? To just showcase what, what we can do through Klima Infinity. And I think it's going to be like this good momentum for other validators to also do measurements and then offset themselves and make it right easy just to display and they can show. We like that a lot. We didn't have to put that much effort into creating our own dashboard. So it was a really good way to like market it and promote it and show that we are part of this. That's excellent. Definitely great to hear that. Speaking like, you know, longer term, we've got big developments around the corner for ETH there, but do you have a longer term vision or what's down the road for Stakefish or F2 Pool then? We have like some products that we're working on that's going to make a lot of the UX for Ethereum staking much easier. And both in terms of the technical aspect of staking and also in terms of like this more tangible aspect without revealing too much. I think that there is sometimes like this leap in understanding that people need to deal with when interacting with their own validators. An Ethereum validator is considered like this 32 ETH denominated entity. And then if you have 64 ETH, then you can have two validators versus like when you delegate your Atom tokens to a validator service provider like Stakefish, then we will like provide this infrastructure for you. Or you can just run your own validator at home and it doesn't need like a certain minimum, like like 32 ETH minimum like that, which is quite large. So I think the UX side of handling and managing your own validator is quite important to improve upon. A product that we're working on is going to make that a lot better. That's exciting to hear for sure. I think that's, you know, that's something that yeah, a lot of people might be curious about or want to get into, but just don't know how or where or, you know, the implications of doing that. I mean, another thing is I think we're beginning to see a lot more governance experimentation happen on chain for proof of stake. There's two pillars, in my opinion, that stand a validator up. It's infrastructure and governance. And so I think we're beginning to see the governance muscle be flexed a lot more on proof of stake networks. And so we have been part of like this working group called the Validator Commons, which is kind of like this coalition slash like party that is able to kind of like rally around validators that do have like a common agreement to certain principles and, and responsibilities that they need to hold up both quantitatively and also qualitatively. And so we want to see a lot more of that. Maybe sometimes some wheels have to be recreated, but there's really a lot of new fundamentally different upgrades, I think, in the governance process that we have now, particularly around transparency and auditability of the decisions that are made and the entities that are making those decisions that people can easily see into. I think that's something that's definitely, you know, of interest to climates. And we have, do have an internal decentralization working group, you know, helping to find our way through our journey towards decentralization or, or you know, what do we mean by that? 
just the the DAO organizational governance structure, like how decentralized, how autonomous as well too, right? I mean, yeah, there's spectrums and continuums for all these things. Yeah, you did talk as well about conference coming up in the fall that's in the planning and and that working group that you referenced several times as well too. Just to be clear, is that Bico WG or what's the... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the Blockchain Infrastructure Carbon Offset Working Group. Mouthful. It was purely utilitarian name until we could have figured out a better name, but it just stuck. But yeah, the climate conference, we're actually still planning that. We finalize on a venue and we're starting to put together programming. We have like a lot of people who have confirmed from the Web 2 side who can be in attendance and also the Web 3 side. I think it's going to be a really amazing opportunity to bring both sides together to sit at the same table and, you know, literally under the same roof to hash things out. I know there's going to be a lot of debate, but hopefully that can be constructive because we need to just get on the same page. I, I think one of the most important parts is that decentralization can allow for many different opinions and we can kind of stake our claims and compete mm -hmm. over it and let the best man win. We need to establish a foundation first and then we can kind of fight on that kind of ground, right? Like if a foundation is not set, there's no progress going to be made. That climate conference is happening September 30th to October 2nd near Medellin, Colombia. And I think more details are going to be starting to circulate to a lot of the climate operators, like Climadel obviously included. And so it's going to be like this invite only. There's only a certain number of rooms available, but I think it's going to be a good opportunity to have high signal, low noise, have operators only at the table, and then good discussions, organic discussions, guided discussions can happen, workshops. Like we can like fight each other over Twitter and like yell at each other and stuff and have like these threads. But, you know, maybe we can, if you're face to face, you can have a calm or maybe yeah. lively discussion and we can at least be open to figuring out what can be done, if concessions can be made, right? We all have the same goal here, I think. The ultimate stakeholder is literally the planet in this case. And so we, we got to figure out some way to work together. Yeah, starting from those shared principles, and that sounds like it, it'll be a great conference. Then it's kind of a a gathering of the refi gigabrains, I guess, getting everyone together. And uh, if it's invite only, it's probably nothing necessarily that our listeners can all go check out, but you can learn about it anyways. Yeah, we're planning to have it live stream so that people can watch along. But sometimes, right, you can have like these manufactured working group calls where like, okay, we're going to set aside one hour each week and we're going to talk. Sometimes ideas can happen like over like you talking to someone at the kitchen or something, right? It's mm -hmm. like the, like the water cooler type talks that I think are going to be pretty helpful for the sort of organic ideas to spawn and people to actually, you know, see someone face to face and like be like, okay, I have to respect you now. We're not just on the internet yelling at each other, right? You're a human. I'm a human. Like let's, let's hash things out. Let's mind ourselves. Like, well, who, what we're all doing this for at the end of the day. That's great. No, that sounds awesome. And yeah, while we've learned more about Bico WG, rewinding a little bit over a month or so ago, I did have the executive order from the Biden administration and there was a response put together on behalf of your working group as well too. Is that right? Did you have any comments or, or insights into that process and what are your hopes for that? Yeah, it was more to show like a solidarity that the Web3 world had together to kind of sign off on and contribute some of the 
recommendations that we had submitted to the White House. That's the least that we can do to show that we're not just fractured, right? We can show that there is like a voice that can be unified. If they read it, who knows, right? I think it was an important statement that we could have made to the traditional world, especially someplace like the White House. Yeah. Well, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it certainly, you know, read like that EO or the executive order itself was pretty well informed about the potential for blockchain to be positive and not just less bad, right? It felt promising anyways. Yeah. I think just in general for like the climate crypto ecosystem, good behavior has to be incentivized, especially when we're dealing with like these permissionless and decentralized and anonymous environments. Altruism, I think, is very noble and we can get so far. But as you mentioned, like sometimes it's helpful to have like gigabrains thinking about ways and mechanisms or projects or dApps or uh, ways that things can fit together like these like green Lego blocks that we have. It's going to be helpful if people understand that thinking about incentivization mechanisms, I think, are really important. We have a lot of Lego pieces, right? These DeFi Lego blocks that exist, the refi ones, the green Lego blocks that exist as well, how we put those together. There's a lot of smart people out there that can figure out how to use the existing pieces and put them together into something meaningful that would make sense for the success of the climate crypto ecosystem. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely count you high amongst those uh, smart people working on it. So really an honor to have you for this conversation today. And thanks definitely so much for your time there. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. Maybe you'll come to Colombia for the climate conference. That would be incredible. Yeah, I've never been to South America or Central America at all. So yeah, that'd be really cool. Thanks for your time there, Dan. Take care. Likewise. Cheers. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great conversation. It was so great to chat with Daniel and learn more about not only his background, but also the history and motivations of F2Pool and Stakefish for joining Klima Infinity. I don't know about you folks, but I really appreciated the big picture, climate positive, lateral thinking that Daniel brings to the whole Web3 world and particularly enjoyed his stories of walking away from the TradFi or traditional finance world and how he joined that alliance of like-minded people, including some of the Klima team who are part of the Biko WG. That's the Blockchain Infracarbon Working Group. And yes, I had to look that up. <laughs> it's a tough one to remember as Dan alluded to. So sounds like they have a very cool conference coming up later this year. And we'll make sure to flip you all the details we can. For everything Klima, be sure you're hitting up klimadao.finance where you can stake bond. And yeah, I think most importantly, find a link to the Klima Discord community because we're DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. Klima is community driven just like this very podcast. So join us and you're going to find a great group of climates and plenty of opportunities to be an active climate too. We hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Daniel and thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to saying hello once again on the very next planet of the climates. <laughs>